tumble out of bed and I stumble to the kitchen. That's a nine to five reference. Oh, in indeed. Honor, <laughs> in honor of the intern, which movie office do you most want to work in? I'm Katie Rich, and I'm going with the highly stylized and very unrealistic but totally beautiful office from Johnny Toe's Office, which is a musical about corporate intrigue in 3D and Chinese. See it. Thanks, Scott Movie Mats. Uh, and I am Matt Patches, and I'm going to go with The Incredibles, because maybe I'm the special one in an office full of drones who don't care about their life, but I can save the day one day. I assure you, you're not. I'm and the I am I'm David the Ehrlich, and uh, I'm going to break the rules, just like Don Draper might, uh, in honor of a certain recent Emmy Loser. tragedy, and go with <laughs> Mad Men. Uh, an office that I can wish to have worked in because I am a white male. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 88 for Tuesday, September 22nd, 2015. The year of our Time Lord, Dr. Emmett Brown, has reached its final season. It's wrapping up. It feels like it really just began. Uh, before we get started this week, we have two new reviews. David, you've gotten back from Toronto. You're the happiest you've ever been. The happiest I've ever been. <laughs> Would you like to uh, We have two new reviews, uh, both very kind. The first from L. Chala, Ch- El Chalu Pacabra, uh, who says, Worth the Squeeze, which is a nice reference to everyone's favorite movie, The Girl Next Door. Uh, he <laughs> says, First person to sing Mersey Dotes in the style of Ray Wise gets my inheritance. Go. Can you? I don't even know what the fuck that is. It's uh, Mersey Dotes, a Dotesy Dotes, a Divey, a Kiddly Divey too, wouldn't you? Oh my oh, God. From Twin, from Twin Peaks? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. well, you just uh, you just earned that person's inheritance. Is that the yes. style of Ray Wise? Uh, yeah, I probably a deeper, deeper voice well, there. Please you, uh, you can work on it and then get that. Share, sweet spra- share the, uh, the wealth down the line when we need it. The other review from our most prestigious listener, Poopmaster30324234, Dad, <laughs> says, the best movie podcast, plain and simple. This podcast is the best way for anyone outside the industry to keep their finger on the pulse of what's going on in Hollywood. Anyone interested in film should listen, and as much as I relish the idea of my review being deadpanned by Dave or recited with flourish by Patches as he channels Jimmy Stewart's ghost, I'm going to keep this short, sweet, and clear. Hit subscribe now. Fighting in the War Room is about to become the best pop culture podcast in your feed. Wow. Yay! Thanks, Poopmaster30. Two, how, three, how did the guy named Poopmaster become the most elegant or girl, I should say? And how were there 3,233 <laughs> or 30,233 Poopmasters before them? iTunes is a, is a strange place. Well, see, the history of Poopmasters allows them to regenerate with <laughs> Poopmasters. They've been around since the beginning of Poop itself. <laughs> um, but now I want to know what the podcast is you, you listen to if you want to. Uh, if if you're inside the industry and want to know what's going on, I wonder. Mm. We're for the outsiders, as mm. the outcasts. No, we're we're always very wary of inside baseball. That's true. So, 
It's true. Well, so now you know that uh, not only should you leave us an iTunes review, but get a good, weird uh, iTunes username, and we will and talk that at length. pledge like. to leave us money after you die. Yeah, seriously. I'll sing anything. <laughs> Literally anything. Fazzy dots and dozy dots and little antsy divey, a kiddly divey too, wouldn't you? Yes, fazzy dots and dozy dots and little antsy divey, a kiddly divey too, wouldn't you? Ryan Adams is a singer who is probably prolific to the point that I don't even know which of his albums I should say he is behind. I kind of I listened to the Gold album a whole lot at the end of high school, but he's made I think fifty albums since then. And uh, his latest unlikely and maybe great project is a complete uh, cover of Taylor Swift's 1989. Every single song endorsed by Taylor Swift. I don't totally know how the rights to this kind of thing work out. Like. How, you know, no matter how much Taylor tweets about how much she likes it, whether or not he has the rights an, for it, anyway. There's an interesting article on Forbes, I believe. So one of these, you know, conservative business places. That Dave Gonzalez would know, money. seeing as he writes for Forbes. That's true. But I think he writes for a, the superhero portion of Forbes. I didn't realize they had. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> the, the, the article on Forbes said that Taylor was definitely making money and there is definitely a fee for him to be able to do this and the kind of irony is that you can stream ryan adams 1989 on spotify (laughs) right now a place where you can't stream the original 1989 and that taylor swift will in fact make money every time you stream it on yeah i was just reading that taylor swift uh not only have taylor swift and ryan adams actually worked together a little bit in the recent past but that she has been so influenced by his melodies that she was afraid that they may affect her performances on her current tour and would seep into her brain. Wow. Whoa. She can be reprogrammed. She can be rebuilt. <laughs> truly the fembot of our time. Uh, wait. So anyway, yeah. Brian Adams uh, came out with this really unlikely cover album. I have listened to parts of it, not as much of it as I would like to, because I, as I said earlier, also the Hamilton album became streamable today so i'd listen to that instead uh but i love ryan adams i've loved him for a long time even even i can't even necessarily get through an entire album of his but i don't know do you guys for someone who is sometimes overwhelmed by his output is this good enough on its own other than just being an insane novelty well it's definitely an insane novelty (laughs) well it was really funny is that the uh within hours of being released you already had um which band was it that was covering the ryan adams cover (laughs) <laughs> uh, in the style of the Velvet Underground. Um, oh, hang oh, on. This, this information is readily available. It's Father John Misty was covering Ryan Adams' cover of Taylor Swift. As Lou blank, Reed. Of, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. As, uh, blank space. It's actually a, he does um, a really good Lou Reed. Yeah, I've only listened to it a few times. I think that um, the worst songs on that album seem to be, on Taylor Swift's album, seem to be the worst songs here. Welcome to New York is unlistenable. In whatever version that you choose to have it is, um, whereas Bad Blood already stuck in my head, uh, the Ryan Adams version. Yeah, yeah. Is, I've, I've, I've heard his version of Bad Blood. It's amazing. Yeah, well, uh, you know, I think it's certainly, as someone who doesn't always have the, the utmost confidence in Ryan Adams' ability as a songwriter and isn't super interested in the original stuff that he is recording, this is definitely a much lower bar to entry, given that I'm already very familiar with the songs. Uh, so you can really just appreciate his interpretation of them. Um, but I, I, in the build-up to this, I have to say, I wasn't expecting to pay money for it. I thought that this was going to be like a lark, like an altruistic project of some kind. I don't know who would be benefiting altruistically, but that it was just going to be um, <laughs> something fun. 
and uh, it would be a free download. I mean, we live in a time where bands release new material of their own as free downloads. Wilco just recently released their album Star Wars for free. Um, and uh, I was surprised that I found myself having to pay nine ninety nine to download this, and not Wait, so surprised. It's on, that I, Sp- it's on Spotify. To, yeah. yeah, but I buy my music for the most part um, because I like to listen to it on the subway. And I pay for Spotify. Yeah, just to be clear, I do listen to this on the spot or on Spotify on the subway. Yeah, I downloaded it to my phone via Spotify. (laughs) That's madness. Um, And uh, I was not surprised that I actually spent the ten dollars because when I see something I want on iTunes, (laughs) I buy it. What that? That's what that button is for. Just says that dopamine straight to your brain. Uh, But I probably would have liked this more if it were contextualized differently as, as something that was just more of a, a silly little bit of silliness. Well, it does um, seem like context goes a long way when you put out a cover album of one of the most popular pop right. albums of, of the last year. An like, extremely what is recent cover album, which is the really surprising thing about it. Right. I Actually, the, after listening to it in full for uh, a second time later today, um, I, I thought it was great to have 1999, the pop version. 89. Like my, uh, what did I say? 1989? 1999 is the version of it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was great to have 1989 as kind of a summer, uh, and we talked about this a little on the po- podcast, Drive with the Windows Down, just pure fun album. And now I have the version to listen to from fall to winter. But it's, <laughs> as, I mean, I think that's a point well taken, but as Katie was saying about you know herself being distracted by other music that Hamilton soundtrack, which I have my own opinions on that was out today. Uh, I anticipating fall and, and the music that comes along with that. that I'm very ready for was completely consumed by the new Joanna Newsom song that she released from her new album, which is coming out in October today. Um, and listened to that one song more for more time than I think I listened to all of Ryan Adams cover album. And so it's already sort of um, background noise and uh, not really something that, but that was already going to be a sure thing for you, right? Like, we, none of us have discovered music in this last month, in, I guess, uh, in anticipation of, of this album and things you already love, Joanna Newsom. Why, yeah. why is she such a sure thing for you? No, I love Joanna Newsom. I mean, it's a uh, big question, I think. <laughs> but, uh, but, like, you know, I'm just saying that in, when, ta- when contextualizing Ryan Adams' 1999 properly, um, even though I paid money for it, it was still a distant second and very disposable for me as soon as uh, something from an artist who I think a lot more of and I'm much more excited for and was original material came out. Um, I don't think Ryan Adams could could begrudge you that really like if you're if he's not going to be your thing automatically you gave him oh i gave ryan money. adams 10 bucks he can't begrudge me a jack shit <laughs> well you, get, you probably gave half of that to taylor swift uh but but she needs that money i guess just to, to put a button on this conversation to to make a point here what what is gained from making this cover album you know is is there a point to this other than you know i uh ryan adams gave a, gave a great interview to stephen hyden at grantland just about and they were talking you know, people are oh, they already want to hear this album because the songs are popular and they just, you know, people are everyone wants to hear this album because they're popular. They already know what they're getting um, and they're excited for something they've already got. But uh, what sounds what does like the movie, the movie industry? Well, I mean, yeah, I exactly. think that what there's does the movie uh, do that what do, or what does the, the album do? What does Ryan Adams take change this music? Well, or pop music is a lot like folk music in that um, it can lend itself to so many different voices. I mean, I think Joanna Newsom is an interesting counterpoint because like. 
I, I am a lot less inclined to listen to what somebody else has to do to Joanna Newsom's song. It's very inextricable from her. But, you know, pop music, uh, given especially how pop songs are shopped between various stars and really just waiting to have a certain personality buy them and claim them for their own, uh, they're very malleable. And I think that I listen to, you know, I, I really like Taylor Swift's album, 1989, except for the god-awful first song. And I, but I also don't think that she's like a great artist and, a, and like a singular musician of any kind. And I'm very inclined to hear what other people might do with her music. And I think that Ryan Adams going through his divorce and uh, having his own sensibility and really sensing as an artist himself, the opportunity to project his own thing onto this music and, and seeing a way to do that makes it interesting and uh it says as much about him as it does about the the music itself i mean it does definitely say something about the music itself how foundational these songs are how kind of by the numbers in a way that they are that they can be stretched like you said um the the taylor swift versions feel so basic and and i love Ouch. out of the woods on this album i love bad blood on this album no that's not a that's not a slight they're just like they're they're not made by machine, but they're they're paint by numbers in a way that we enjoy. Uh, and there's also, of course, a much greater value in um, in putting your own spin on a song that everybody knows and is familiar with. And I think uh, there is a certain inborn attachment to this. Is the first time you hear this record, it's a rare feeling. The first time you hear this record, you feel like you've known it for a long time. Um, and that you can sort of anticipate what it's doing and take pleasure in the choices that it makes. Um, and that's something you don't get the other way. You don't get that if Ryan, if Taylor Swift is covering Ryan Adams. Uh, it doesn't have that cultural saturation. So I certainly see the appeal on their, on his part. Um, I'm just surprised at uh, the legitimacy that paying for it <laughs> puts onto it. And I guess... Um, but if that's the nature of the project, I mean, I guess if you were releasing it for free and not charging anybody, he may not have had to pay uh, anything to Taylor right, Swift. Right, right. But, you know, it's a whole... Mm, this is, he I probably guess, still would have. Yeah, I, I don't really, know. Really quick wrap-up here. Uh, our friend Nathaniel at the Film Experience, who, Katie, you do a podcast with sometimes. Mm-hmm. I hope that's ramping up soon, by the way. Yeah, it should be. Oscar podcast. Um, he brought up... He, he was not a fan of this album, for a very specific reason, Ryan Adams changed all the genders to fit him. So, you know, uh, Taylor Swift talks a lot about he and him, and Ryan Adams changed it to she and her, and that sort of thing. Very heteronormative. He was, was not a fan well, of changing that. I was curious what you, what you would think of that. Well, just to go back to the idea that Ryan Adams has said that this was coming from a really dark time in his life, and I think he means rather explicitly his, his divorce and whatnot, um, I, I think that if he's trying to embody these songs and, and help use them to help express how he's feeling and cope with the situation, it's less about heteronormativity than it is uh, just making himself the protagonist. Um, and that I don't really have a problem with. I think it does it, fit it, with the uh, confessional aspect of Taylor Swift where right. you're listening yes. to her and you I think she's so talking too. about her life. Yes. Yeah. But it would have been cool to hear Ryan Adams singing about 
you know, so it would have been fine, but it would have like taken you out of it. The way he's spending in the blank space, yeah, it, it might have. Sort of dishonest. It doesn't come across at all like a, a homophobic or or like gay panicky sort of thing. No, it's it feels like, like oh, Ryan Adams I, at yeah. home singing these songs, and, right? And it being more personal. I, I agree, but I can understand Nathaniel's complaint on that. Uh, if if you're if you want the pure Taylor Swift by way of Ryan Adams' experience, I suppose. But uh, I'm uh, I'm still bummed that he and Mandy Moore can make it work. Believe it or not, that was a thing. They yeah, were married. That's the, that's the divorce. Wow. I did not realize Mandy Moore. Yeah, man. I hope she fires back with her own cover <laughs> of. Uh, if she has her uh, Katy Justin Perry uh, retort. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that, you know, it's interesting because Ryan Adams doing it as a cover is a, is a veil over it. It's not like he's um, not has like to he's write something so confessional. Album. Right. It's like a way to vent his feelings and express himself without having to be direct or maybe disrespectful. But at the other time, on the other hand, rather, I think there might be something gendered about this where, uh, for whatever reason, it's easier for the man in the situation to put out some sort of artistic response to the relationship, or I think Taylor Swift, uh, many more would be taken to task a little bit more if she released any sort of artistic statement that reflected on the relationship. I hope she uh, does a complete Katy Perry cover and really ramps this up. Yeah, sure. this the emmys were last night i think um, we're all maybe a little still exhausted from it and uh the emmys do a lot of things right that the oscars don't they came in at a clean three hours long uh there were very few montages this year at least um and they had a pretty good musical opening number which i'm always in support of but there's one south park by mr joanna newsom yeah, <laughs> yeah. he did Joanna- a pretty good job i have to say I not being I an agree. andy samberg fan I laughed. I and, laughed. This is a uh, this is a sidebar. But David, have you ever looked at the two of them and been like, "Yeah, I get how you're married." Have you ever no. figured that out? I fr- uh, quite the contrary. I look at them often and think, "How are you a couple?" <laughs> <laughs> my my girlfriend and I often try to imagine what their home life Office is like. Attract. Uh, we we ship them even though they're married. <laughs> <laughs> sounds fun anyway uh the thing that the emmys do that i remain eternally grateful that the oscars don't do and probably never can do just by nature is that the same damn people win emmys all of the time no matter how great julia louis dreyfus is the fact that she's won four emmys for playing the same character on veep is completely insane it's like when i got so excited that john ham won and people were like dude he won four years in a row or no mad men mad men won four years in a row yeah, I was I was so mad that it didn't win. Wait, Mad Men did not win four years ago. Mad Men won Best Drama at least four three years, years ago. No, it won multiple times. It won it f- its first year and second year, and hasn't won since because of Breaking Bad and Game of Thrones. So it's only won twice. Yeah. All right. Anyway, it won multiple times. Um, whereas Game of Thrones, which feels like it kind of ran the table, had never won Best Drama before. Um, so there's like a sense in which they were doing things new, but also the way that they repeat themselves and give Alice and Janney seven Emmys. I just, I just wanted to give the Emmys a shout-out, or the Oscars a shout-out, for as terrible Wait as the singing. I'm okay with giving Alice and Janney seven Emmys? But not all for the same thing. No, but many of them for the same thing. Well, Meryl Streep gets getting nom- keeps getting nominated. Yeah, so for playing very different characters. Oh, yeah, they're all so different. Sometimes they are. Ricky and also, the she's... Flash, Ricky and the Flash, Ricky and the she... Flash. 
Ricky and the yeah, Flash. Yeah, she made five Ricky and the Flashes, didn't she? Uh, <laughs> Wasn't how- one trilogy enough? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but Meryl Streep has won three Oscars, not seven. You know, that no, like streaks like that just don't really happen, and I, I appreciate that. I mean, is there any way to counter it? That's what I don't for the Emmys? Understand. Yeah, I, I wish. I mean, I someone made a point last night during the broad or two nights ago during the broadcast that <laughs> I guess just everyone's allowed to vote, which is yeah, why they, they Game of that Thrones, the year. most watched television show, <laughs> wins, and why Peter Dinklage keeps winning. And Peter Dinklage only won for the second time last night. The first I mean, time he won just, was like Game of Thrones' first year. I guess with Breaking Bad gone, I feel it's like completely gone from my vision, and now. Game of Thrones individual wins seem to, you know, be right up against each other or something. I'm confused, but it all feels the same. There's no, there was nothing new. Did any new premieres win? Inside Amy Schumer. Well, not a new. I guess no, that, that was, was in its third season. season, right? Yeah, but it was the first time that it had won anything. Olive Kitteridge was really the only. <laughs> well, yeah. Kind of, oh, well, American. Uh, the American the, Crime. One? American Crime. Which I really feel critics must have failed because I saw so many people going off about how it was good. We've never talked about it here. I don't think any of us have seen it. I, I watched think. one episode of oh, it. Okay. It was fine. Go um, back. We did a we did a segment about Olive Kitteridge a few months ago. Not Olive Kitteridge. You American should all go Crime. back and listen to critics it. Critics did not fail Olive Kitteridge. We didn't. No. Yeah, we we stood up. No, I'm Kitteridge. not saying us, but just for anyone who was confused about what it was and why it was being so celebrated, yes. uh, go back and listen to an episode of Fighting in the War Room. Yeah. So and we then have, uh, we have the Oscars uh, to look to for uh, originality. I mean, no the Oscars are that. deeply unoriginal in so many ways, but in this very one specific way, someone is not going to win an Oscar for the same well, but, year after year. But on the just to play the devil's advocate a little bit, or you know, maybe just the the devil. Because <laughs> do I care about the Oscars? Um, I think even though you don't literally have the same, I know this is the point Patches year, is making. You're pretty much still having the same. I, the same concepts, the same people. Um, that's why we have the idea of Oscar bait. Uh, and you don't have the concept of television. I mean, like it's the demarcation between the quality programs and the non-quality programs is clear, even though like Big Bang Theory still somehow gets nominated as a modern family. But uh, you don't see Game of Thrones and think like, ugh, Emmy bait. You know, like we, but in uh, the Oscars, it's become its own thing. Yeah, I don't yeah. know what the uh, I don't know how the Emmys can really course correct because once you gain momentum as a hit show and you start getting Emmys, you're going to keep getting them until the end of time. Well, I mean, Modern Family didn't win this year finally, so although no you know, True they, Detective, and that was a big hitter, last and year. a huge diss to True Detective, yeah, courtesy of Andy Samberg. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think True Detective was eligible this year. I think it started airing no, after the. Yeah, the June it's a June first cutoff date, so I think yeah. True Detective season two will be eligible for Emmys next year. Next year. God help it! Can't wait. Good luck. Mm-hmm. Well, Oscars, see get ya. ready. Starting yeah. soon. Start starting soon. Started last week. Starting now. Oh boy. All right. Speaking of Oscars, let's talk about Johnny Depp. Johnny I put Depp. more examples of makeup. God, what if Lex G made a Jeff Wells parody where he's trapped in room? <laughs> so good room goodbye lamp goodbye Goodbye, wells goodbye jeff wells (laughs) still stuck in that room uncle jeff old jeff
Last week in Black Mass opened to pretty good box office and reviews. It did really well in Boston, apparently. <laughs> uh, go figure. Uh, it's a crime drama about Whitey Bulger, who is a uh, real-life gangster who kind of ruled certain portions of Boston for a long time. And he's played by Johnny Depp. Although you might look at the trailer and not necessarily know at first it's Johnny Depp since he's got any man. He's got these blue contacts in. He's got a receding hairline. What else? Does he have like jaw things going on? There's a lot he's done to make him not necessarily he look like Johnny Depp. He also has a thick British accent where he's like, I'm Jack Sparrow. Yeah, that's uh, that's how Whitey Bulls are talked in real life. Very actually. It was a very, uh, very authentic choice. He's um, still alive, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Jack Sparrow. Yeah, Jack Sparrow Jack also Sparrow. lives in our hearts. Um, theoretically, all of this is to make him look just like Whitey Bulger, but I, like I imagine, many people don't really know much about what Whitey Bulger really looked like. And what is impressive to me about his performance is that, despite the fact that he's buried under a bunch of makeup, he's giving a pretty good performance and being really convincing, especially for Johnny Depp, who has buried himself under makeup a lot lately to not really do much of anything. See the Lone Ranger as one of many hey. examples. I mean, Wait, are no, you going to... No, he's terrible. I like the Lone <laughs> Ranger, but he's not good in it. Yeah, there we go. Um, but then I saw some people arguing that the prosthetics were really distracting, and I don't necessarily know what dif- divides good makeup and bad makeup, but I was kind of surprised by this because I really went in for the illusion and actually thought the prosthetics <sighs> Me too. went a long way towards selling it. Yeah, you agree, Patches? I do, uh, mostly because they didn't... Uh, they they weren't really accentuating anything. I guess with the eyes a little bit, but that felt more subtle. I mean, I, I like um, deglamorizing Depp in this way. There's really nothing. It's, you know, he's not wearing a big floppy hat. He's not the Mad Hatter. He doesn't have kooky hair, and he's not springing about. He's, he really has nothing to flaunt with this makeup. So he has to kind of sit in the back and lurk. He has to be kind of as, as slimy as his exterior allows and i think it really plays into his his best acting qualities it, it forces him to restrain himself more than mm-hmm. anything and so you feel like the makeup do you feel like he could have given this performance had it just been like no you're just gonna look like johnny depp and no one really knows what Whitey bulger looks like i guess i mean no because the last time we got pure johnny depp was transcendence oh boy and god that, there's nothing there right oh that movie's boy. awful he really he is a performer who needs something physical to to grab hold of and to find a tick and here I think it he has these crooked teeth these scummy teeth and he's constantly sucking up his spit or biting his lip and like just glaring at people and he can really fall back into that it's not a crutch uh, it's it's a prosthetic leg, <laughs> and, and it, it guides him in this performance. And I think we've seen him do it before. You know, Edward Scissorhands is one of those. Jack Sparrow is a character like that for him, where the mm-hmm. wig and the costuming. He he's a master of costuming. I think he can really slip into something when the costume isn't being extravagant. I think in the last few years, it's when he's he's played he's played dress up as opposed to finding the right outfit and being a chameleon in that way and and makeup i mean we there's a broader conversation here that i think we we plan on having which is that makeup a lot of the time because part of the oscar conversation for people you know throw on a fake nose and and you're you're closer to the oscar than anyone else uh you win by a nose Um, oh boy yeah but in this case it does go a long way i mean you want to see these people transform there's a thrill in seeing Depp do this, but it's also holding him back. It's it's the chain around his neck. 
David, you seem like someone who might see an actor in prosthetics and immediately roll his eyes and walk away. Uh, yeah, I I will never see Black Mass as long as I live. Um, <laughs> I have to say that that is mostly due to uh, Scott Cooper, the director, because I have very, very little tolerance for consistent mediocrity. And I think having seen Crazy Heart and Into the Furnace, uh, I, I just, or whatever, um, I, I, you know, I, I just get that feeling that this is not someone who is capable of transcending mediocrity. They're always going to deliver watchable, instantly forgettable uh, movies that... Like Out of the Furnace. Yeah, like Out of the Furnace. Yeah, and so like I just – I don't have time for that <laughs> in my life. Um, I don't want it. I don't want anything to do with it. Uh, I think all the Oscar talk around this movie is just hot air, uh, whatever. But And then the reactions have been very muted. I mean it – it's not a disaster and people are happy to buy into Johnny Depp's narrative of doing something real for the first time. And I think the the prosthetics are uh, inextricable from that. I think he, he needed to literally transform on screen for people to uh, give him the opportunity to transform his image. Um, I, I don't know. I can't really think of any performances that are so prosthetic oriented that have like meant anything to me i think prosthetics are sort of like cg in that um they're the more effective the 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 less visible they are the more effective they are mm-hmm. um i think the best prosthetics are the ones that we would never be able to think of you know we may be aware of them but if we sat here and tried to think of the ones that were good they, they would be ones that escaped us it's not nicole kidman's nose in the hours um it's not Steve Carell's nose in Foxcatcher, uh, which is a terrible example of this. I mean, that whole character. Steve Carell, by the way, after Free Held in Foxcatcher, is in dire need of some major resuscitation. Uh, but um, I think, yeah, I don't know. I'm just like, there's just nothing about it. And it just makes the reinvention element of the narrative all the more transparent to me and less interesting. Uh, and I don't know. Can, can you guys think, am, am I wrong? Can you think of... Uh, an example of a prosthetic that that you think is more subtle, not like the Elephant Man or something. Albert Nobbs, no. Um, <laughs> oh man, Albert so, Nobbs. Well, actually, I was thinking of. I, I didn't love Theory of Everything last year, but I do think that the prosthetic work on Eddie Redmayne is more convincing than anything he does with his physical self in the huh. movie, showing how his body becomes contorted. Uh, as it's a lot of that was what he did physically, though. Uh, I mean, some of it definitely is. But if you look at, I mean, I had the, the I, I was thrilled to be able to talk to the, the the makeup person last year and just see the kind of layers of latex and prosthetics that were applied to him over the course of that movie, and it's and it's really cool just to see how kind of gnarled it gets, and it's very subtle. It's just a fine layer of plastic around his knuckles or in his hands. It's it's that kind of stuff that, exactly what you're saying, David, we don't see it, and it's not mm-hmm. going to be front and center on a movie poster, necessarily, kind of highlighting this transformation. Yeah, yeah I mean, I the think, story here is like, look at how different he is from what you know. And like, well, I and know. I want to give credit to someone else in Fox, because I interviewed the costume, the makeup person for Foxcatcher, um, and they did a lot on Channing Tatum in that movie, which is not something you're necessarily going to notice. It's not nearly as visible as what happened with Steve Carell, but it creates this really subtle transformation to make him look more hulking and kind of Neanderthalish, which does a lot to build up this character and separate him from the Channing Tatum you know. I think prosthetics like that 
can be really valuable with well-known actors when they're done in that way, just to kind of remove you enough from that face so you're not thinking about Magic Mike the whole time. What's the movie I'm thinking of where somebody removes like their jaw and their face sags and it's horrifying? Skyfall. Javier Bardem. Oh, yeah, maybe. Maybe that's it. I can't yeah, I mean, of course, possibly imagine what else you're thinking right, of. Right, yeah. I mean, that's more of a – the prosthetic, of course, is not keeping – anyway, I, I, I can't really speak to the makeup involved. A lot of this is above my head. Um, but what, what you're criticizing Black Mass for, I don't think the transformation narrative is, is really there. It's more about depth doing a serious role after so many right. kind of superfluous big blockbusters. Um, now but in the context serious, of like an Oscar role. Yeah, I mean, but it's it like Transcendence was serious, but it wasn't. Right, well, okay. When people say serious, they're really just saying Oscar Beatty because. Yeah. Uh, like if, but, if Black Mass came out in April, then we'd not have quite the same narrative around it. No, it definitely wouldn't. But again, I still don't think it's necessarily around the makeup. It's just around Depp trying something different. Um, and if it was, if he was the Grinch, then maybe it would be about the makeup oh or something. Oh man, I would, I would see Johnny Depp's the Grinch. But uh, here, that's that's why I think the makeup is so successful because he owns it. He dominates the makeup, or or it's bespoke to him as opposed Mm. to being a big flashy getup that he's underneath to kind of you know he's not steve carell and foxcatcher although you know there are instances where actors try to become the person they're playing to transformation and their performance can be so good that uh the combination of those two elements like daniel day lewis yeah, Dan, exactly. Yeah. Daniel Day-Lewis, what, in Lincoln? Is that what in you're Lincoln, he oh, is yeah. unrecognizable. He's buried under makeup think, and prosthetics. I was actually yeah. thinking of La Vie and Rose with Marion Coulter. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah. And that we didn't really know her as much yes. then, I guess. But she looked so much, you know, like, yeah. like Edith Piaf. It was, it was crazy with the but eyes. Do you think, well, do you think, that, like, I haven't seen uh, Black Mass, so please take this away from me if you'd like. But, like, Lincoln feels like a movie that, where Lincoln is a product of the world around him. Uh, And Black Mass, from what I've seen from the commercials and what I've read of the reviews, it feels like here's Johnny Depp in makeup and everything about Boston in the 70s, whenever it is, is going to contort around him. Um, And that it's the dynamic that's off. That's what makes the prostheses stand out. Mm. I actually think they're more effective than that and more they blend the, in the more. And also, I mean, the problem is the Boston accents with like Joel Edgerton being like, we got to get info from Whitey Bulger. <laughs> also, and that just uh, overpowers any makeup. It doesn't matter. Comparing Black Mass to Lincoln is always going to be an unfavorable comparison. So it's kind of a no win comparison yeah, for it. I don't even like Lincoln all that much. Now, uh, now, Lincoln. now, um, now, 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 <laughs> oh, now. That was like my favorite meme of 2012. I, I forgot know, about that. Um, yeah, I think Black Mass does serve Johnny Depp and its makeup. Well, maybe I like Black Mass better than anybody else on this podcast. Um, but, uh, because, I, because I'm inaugurating a season of, at least for now, happily capitulating to your desire to talk about the Oscars. Uh, so, you, as of what? I mean, as of now, but I, I, I don't know. This is a finite offer. But as of now, <laughs> this third week of September 2015, uh, I'm okay talking about the oscars peripherally at least um i feel like you're getting more Carol. into it david it, because yeah but uh but um do you think do you agree with me that it is uh, laughable the idea that black mass will be in the best picture race 
Um, it depends. I don't know. It depends on what else comes on, out. You know, t- if Tarantino's movie's really good, if if all the joy movies, is good, what in the heart of the sea is really good. There's all what? sorts of things. Like if that. it is, uh, yeah, well, I, I don't know. Depp- the Blind Side was a Best Picture nominee. Anything yeah. is possible. But The Blind Side had uh, it was a big audience hit, and Black Mass seems to critically not have the muscle that it needs to have uh, its reputation put it over the line and it's not exactly going to be a sensation i think it's because of depp i think it's because right and he could be in the conversation definitely but yeah and the movie will stay in the conversation because of that yeah i don't think the movie realistically has a chance i think everyone's wasting their breath if 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 the movie had another performance in it that was up to depp's caliber i think joel edgerton is great in it joel edgerton is terrible in it and i like this crazy he is horrible but johnny depp Johnny Depp is a great fucking actor, and I like when he plays dressed up, you know? I like him under layers of makeup and in crazy costumes. Wait, David, you wrote an article about Johnny Depp recently. I did. About his best performances and his worst performances. I did. What, was, what made his best for you? It's a good to question. Your article. Let me see. Um, hang on. There, there, this was such a blur of the, the line, the margin between... Depp's best and worst performances was was pretty thin. Um, oh, what's eating Gilbert Grape? That's a yeah, what's eating. I think, but like, yeah, I mean, it, there's obviously Gilbert a concentration of his best work earlier in his career. I actually ended up throwing. I only referenced Jack Sparrow once, and I put it in the worst category for At World's End. Um, yeah, but the first Jack Sparrow. Yeah, was... but I think that like it's it's. It's such a tribute to Buster Keaton, and I think that he had been working on that silent uh, era comedian shtick for so long since Benny and June that um, it just didn't really merit mention for me. And I also Ooh. think that it's also the the moment where his career really tipped over into self-parody. Uh, I do think that What's Eating Gilbert Grape is one of his best, as is uh, Ed Wood, um, Dead Man, a lot of the obvious suspects, even Dodney Brasco, which is sort of the... And I think even after Black Mass will still be the go-to Johnny Depp is a serious actor reference. Fear and Loathing, where he's channeling Hunter S. Thompson. Actually, Donnie Brasco is a great, like, you know, other side of the coin role. It is, uh, you know, him playing against Pacino tells you everything about what could happen in Black mm-hmm. Mass. You know, this could be mm. graduating to the Pacino, like, I'm going to kill you, kind of role. <laughs> but I, and it's never that. It's never that in Black Mass. And that's what's so extraordinary about it. I kind of feel like, you know, I don't know how if I have enough conviction in this opinion to, like, ever really fight for it. But I kind of feel like his best performance might be in Rango. <laughs> uh, really good which, Rango. Which is a character that... It's very full-bodied. It comes from him being on set, acting out the part um, and before it was digitally transformed into a chameleon. Um, I think that's but, you uh, trolling a little bit, but uh, I, I love Rango, so I won't. I don't know. I, I mean, I, too much. I, yeah, I just kept returning to Rango as like the, the example of everything that's best about him. That, and I think that as an actor who's always really prided himself on just being into his characters is not coasted on his looks save for in uh, what's eating Gilbert grape where it was really a part of the character i mean i'm talking about his sort of natural good looks not the look that he bestows upon his characters but through makeup and the rest um i think that i wouldn't be surprised to learn i'll say if he's as proud of rango as he is of anything else that he's ever done well you need to see tusk at 
<laughs> You're making Full me want to watch uh, What's Eating Gilbert Grape again. Total it's been disguise. a while. Oh, yeah. Uh, just to wrap up here, though, you know, we, we do luck out in Black Mass. The makeup could be worse. It could go into parody because at the end of the film, we, you know, if you know anything about Whitey Bulger, he fled Boston after this whole incident with the FBI and went on the lam and disappeared and eventually he's caught just a few years ago he was caught living in a Santa Monica motel uh, as an old man he was 84 years old and we kind of get a glimpse of uh, Depp in 84 year old oh do they they go all the way there not really well, we you don't get a good face shot from behind yeah but you can imagine the film having like a three hour cut it would have been like a little... uh, like Army Hammer at the end of J. Edgar. Oh, I was thinking of Ryan Gosling in All Good Things. Oh, yeah. Just, or in a dress, and an old lady dress. Um, but no, we don't get to see that, uh, which is unfortunate because I think that story is pretty fascinating, mm-hmm. too. Maybe that's not Depp's role to play, but I think a, a talkie... It's Joel Edgerton's role to play. Oh, God, no. I, I just want a talkie drama with Whitey Bulger just hanging out at the Santa Monica Motel and, like, being everyone's best friend. There's a great moth story, which you can listen to on in podcast form somewhere, um, about the guy who, who was managing the motel. And oh, wow. had to work with the FBI to kind of sting Whitey Bulger. And all, by all accounts, Bulger was the nicest guy. You would buy him, like... I bought you a new bike tire because yours was flat, or I got you lunch. Wow. <laughs> and he was super nice. Uh, none of that in Black Mass. Only mean. I, th- I heard that he, he like, helps an old with lady grocery. across the street. That's or true. Something. He's quite a charmer. I mean, he is a very nice guy in the movie when he's not having people murdered over <laughs> high lie. <laughs> over high lie. Pete Campbell would be so proud. I know. Mm-hmm. I thought about that. Okay. Whitey Bulger, Johnny Depp, the Oscars, makeup. Makeup. Buy a nose. <laughs> Investors? <laughs> Possibly you. <laughs> That does it for today's Fighting in the War Room. We'll be back on Friday with the review of another fall movie starring a major movie star. The Martian. It's not anything to do with Black Mass. Uh, we'll be fighting in the war room over this one. I believe. There we go. Get ready. Put on your space helmets. Uh, in the I meantime, wonder who doesn't like it. <laughs> Whoa! Spoiler. Uh, in the meantime, tell the people who you are. Yes, I am Matt Patches, senior writer for Esquire.com, and I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. And remember, we have a website, FightingInTheWarRoom.com. You can comment, you can share, you can name your favorite Johnny Depp role, and we will read it. Uh, anything is possible. FightingInTheWarRoom.com. Uh, I am David Ehrlich. I am the associate film editor of Time Out New York, the editor at large of Little White Lies magazine. You can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich. And you can find all of us together on the Facebook by Steve Jobs. <laughs> that fighting in the war room. There you go. Uh, I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at VanityFair.com or on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. Twitter is also where you can find all of us at FITWR. We'll be fighting in that war room and also uh, reading your answers to this week's lightning round question, which was... In honor of the intern, what movie office do you want to work in? Thank you for listening, and we'll be back talking to you on Friday. Dancing in my 
That's what they don't know That's what they don't know 